Welcome to Full Stack Business Owner, where we are enhancing your full stack of skills to build wealth inside and outside your business. Today, we're actually with a special guest, Jared Mann from Perth Property Insider, great podcast, and Investor's Edge. And today, we're actually talking all things Full Stack Business Owners talk about. Now, if you want to join the conversation, head over to Facebook and join a Full Stack Business Owner community. We do have a bit of a chat going on over there and uh, be part of the fun. Now, before we dive into this one, let's cue your infamous disclaimer, Charlie. Charlie here from Full Stack Business Owner. I need to let you know that Grant, myself, and the Full Stack Business Owner team are in no way, shape, or form qualified to give you financial advice or pick investment products. We highly encourage you seek out and engage the use of professionals when making financial decisions or comparing investment products. All right, Jared, welcome to the show. I'm thrilled to have you here and I'll just tee this one up for the listeners. Um, You're someone I've actually been kind of, I'll say semi-stalking a little bit online for the last couple of years and of course we also do some work with your podcast but I just think you're a really good example of what we kind of stand for at Full Stack. So you're someone who's playing in the business camp, you're also doing some investing stuff, you've got a great business I will mention as well and also a great podcast but I suspect the listeners of this show don't know you as well as I do. So could you just take a minute and tell us a little bit about your business and what you do? Well, thanks for having me on the guys show, uh, show guys. A really big fan, of course, and um, it's good to know two people that are almost as passionate about business and property as I am. <laughs> almost. <laughs> <laughs> you, you caught that, Grant. <laughs> that was good. No, I like that. So how many hours do we actually have to talk today? Um, you know, we'll have to put a lid on it probably. But uh, oh, We could go as long as we need here. It's like if we've got to cut into two episodes, we'll cut into two Excellent. episodes. Just wanted to know before. how much runway we've got. But um, I uh, have a Perth property management and investment agency called Investors Edge Real Estate and we're one of the most awarded property managers and most highly rated um, on Google for Perth. So we manage 890-odd uh, properties across the whole of Perth and thankfully I've got a really amazing team that are highly experienced and um, you know they're the they're the heroes in my eyes uh, I take a lot of the credit as you do to the business owner but um, couldn't do it without them and they have that investment mindset which is a really key piece to differentiating us as property managers so most property managers do a, a nine-day course they can be in their early 20s They've never invested in property. They've, they've got no clue about investing. So how can they ever know to improve your returns? They've got no concept of your returns. They're just, you know, ticking boxes and, and following process and, and just don't have that mindset. So that's a big differentiator for us. And um, we also use that real close relationship that we have with our property investors to prevent stress and help them on that journey for investing. So... Our ultimate purpose is to try and help them improve their lives. And let's face it, tenants aren't second-rate citizens either. Uh, How we we go about our management is we respect them as much as we do our landlords. And many of them are actually um, on their own journeys and become investors themselves and get us to manage their properties. And, you know, this day and age, someone can be a rent investor and have many properties under their belt before they even go into home ownership. So... Just um, we have a lot of fun in that uh, property management space, but also uh, I love making Perth Property Insider and very grateful for Valor Media for producing it for me and doing such a great job there. So 
Oh, I appreciate the kind words. Now, I will frame this up. You are an absolute expert on Perth, and we're actually probably not going to talk about Perth that much in this episode. We might do a round two on that one because there's a really uh, fascinating thing that I want to explore in this episode more deeply. You have a unique synergy where your business is in, let's say, real estate, and then you also invest in real estate. So there's some amazing synergies between what you do day to day versus what you do to invest where for people like Grant and I, like we play online a lot of the time and then we invest in real estate and other things as I suppose outside of, they're not really interconnected as, as you would be there. I'm really curious though, at what point in your business journey did you realize it was important to invest outside of your business rather than just focus on that? Well, I kind of think back to when I was 16 and I got given the book Rich Dad, Poor Dad. I know it's changed the lives of many investors out there. And if you haven't read it, pause this podcast perhaps and you know, go read it. Listen to every episode, okay. subscribe to all that stuff. Sorry, guys, I overstepped the mark there. Don't want to be cut off before we uh, get too far. What a fantastic book though, isn't oh, it? Great. So good. good. And uh, it really blew my mind because it gave me a role model as a rich dad and my dad was the like the poor dad. So he had his own civil engineering business and he was a great technician but not a great business owner. And he was focused on his work and despite uh, working in property development and creating some of the biggest land estates in Perth, he never thought to invest himself, which was just an absolute travesty when I look back on the access that he had and the opportunity he had and, you know, he was making everyone else money and not thinking about how to get ahead. And he was a great technician but never built the, the business into being, you know, leveraging and working on the business, never probably read a business book in his life and never had a business coach. So he was so focused on that work that I felt he wasn't around to spend time with us as kids. And that was the real thing that drove me to decide at a very young age that I wanted to learn everything I could about investing and set myself up so that I could elevate our family to actually having wealth. You know, those experiences you have when you're a child and, you know, these are first world problems, don't get me wrong, but it's very real to me at the time that my friends are coming to school and, you know, able to freely buy their lunch at the canteen. Meanwhile, I open my lunchbox and I've got a Vegemite sandwich and um, and an apple. And, you know, I just ask my parents, why can't I have lunch to that, you know, buy lunch? You know, money doesn't grow on trees, Jared. Um, we're not made of money. You know, all those conditioning things. I used to have to get my uniforms from the secondhand shop. All of these things stick with you. And then when your dad's not around because he's, doing, you know, 60, 70 hours a week, um, that sticks with you. So I wanted to be also present and around for my kids and to create enough wealth that I had choices. So that was what gave me my burning desire. And I ended up becoming an electrical engineer and following him in his footsteps. And I didn't, um, I was still trying to find my path to wealth, but I knew that I wanted to start investing in property as soon as I could. And as soon as I got my first job, I bought my first property at 22 and I was still trying to find my path to wealth at that point. So investing was a priority before I even got into business, but 
the modeling that my dad did as the poor dad made me want to be a rich dad myself when I grew up and have that different role, role model. So, Awesome story there. <clears throat> and pardon me, I, I didn't realize how much our journeys actually relate there. Like my uh, father worked in the building industry, he was a builder, and we built all these amazing homes. <laughs> and he didn't keep any of them. No. I'm like, what? <laughs> Looking back on it. My dad's completely different. He worked in IT. <laughs> well this is interesting you yeah. invested first so clearly driven from your youth when did the transition to business then come like was this a and i'm going to ask a pointy question around this did you come to the consideration that hey i'm not going to be able to get to the wealth goals i have in this job and where it's going i better do my own thing yeah. or was this like a natural progression where it's just like mm. a great opportunity came up well in my first three years as an engineer i bought properties, renovated them, developed, did small developments and I'd grown my asset base a bit from nothing at the time and I was incredibly frustrated with my four different property managers. So I had long vacancy with tenants, um, not not having tenants. I had property damage and tenants skipping town and I could never reach them and it was hard to follow up on them like countless times just to get an answer and a simple thing done. So my investing journey nearly actually ended um, at that point because I thought about, you know, is this all too hard and shall I just sell all the properties and move on because the property manager was just so crucial, at, you know, to your ongoing peace of mind. So I looked around. I can, actually I can really see some of those experiences driving some to the share market, yeah. right? like more passive assets. And, like, yeah. unfortunately, I think a lot of people do have a terrible experience with property managers. Yeah, and, the, and the interesting thing is, Jared, that you saw that problem and decided to solve it yourself, just not <laughs> yes. move to a different place. <laughs> like, yes. I'm like, the easier ones just go to a different property manager, but it's like, no, no, no. I'll, I'll go and open one. <laughs> yeah, well, I did actually try changing property managers a few times and looked around everywhere for that investment mindset and someone that would just, you know, return my calls, basic stuff, you'd think. Um, you'd think. But, <sighs> it was clear that there was a big gap in the market when I couldn't find anyone. And um, so at the time, I sold some of my properties to give me the capital to have that runway to start things from scratch and not need an income. And that, you know, I probably may not have had the opportunity if I didn't already have some wealth created with my investing so far. And my, um, it also took the pressure off because, you know, starting from scratch, you don't appreciate uh, how little you know and not having ever been in business or real estate before. Um, my cash drain was steep and my learning curve was uh, even steeper. <laughs> absolutely i think every business owner can relate to that right it's uh and even then what a phenomenal way to be able to start a business by being able to sell some property to provide that runway like many people never get their start because they just can't get the funds together to actually support a business getting off or have to take on immense debt to do so so we're into the journey here and and you've acquired a couple of properties sold a couple of properties started the business and then inevitably gone through this learning curve that we all have how did you go about juggling the two worlds? Because at this point, you've got a business you can grow and reinvest in and do things in property, and then you could also acquire more property or other investments in the way you do it. Um, was there any way you thought about it or was there anything you were particularly looking to achieve between the two? Look, it was incredibly exciting at first to be in a job where I could improve my investing skills every day and grow my contacts and, you know, 
learn through my clients' experiences as well and feedback back around to help them. And, you know, I continue to invest in property, but our business also at the start took a lot of cash and to grow from just the two of us um, and getting the first few employees and then realizing, oh, what I've really actually just bought myself here is a job. Um, how do I grow into having a middle management layer? So that was then the next big you know, step where you're paying for middle management, but you can't yet really afford it. So I wanted to be more removed from the day-to-day and just do the things I love. And and so making that investment was important for me. And I also added then a business development manager so that I didn't have to do the front end of the, the selling of our service. And then, of course, you've got the the incredible investment in marketing to generate the leads and grow. And when you don't have that reputation and and other things to lean on, it's just, you know, massive marketing spend to drive the the business out there, isn't it? Have you guys That's been huge. in similar positions when starting from scratch? <laughs> Well, one of the things I'm probably a little bit more envious of here is like I'm I'm thinking in the moment of like you've got a very people-heavy business. You've got to have Mm. like somewhere to operate from, like offices and things like that, where a lot of the people in the online world like Grant and I, um, well, I mean, we just spin up a new domain and uh, we don't necessarily have to worry about like leases and things in the same world where this is a much more capital-intensive and people-intensive business like to get one off the ground at the level you're talking about. We're not talking about, oh, spending 10 grand. We're probably talking about investing several hundred thousand yeah. in getting a business to that point. So, look, that continued to suck cash and I was always torn because I wanted to be doing more investing at certain times, but you've just got to give your business what it needs as well to get to the next level. Otherwise, it's just going to stay you and your business partner and no leverage and no scale. So that was a conscious choice of actually, okay, the business needs the cash now, I'm putting it in. And then about seven years into the business, my business partner and I started to drift apart. So she had different goals. She was winding back and preparing for retirement and taking six-month holidays at a time. And it was a really difficult period for me So, and, and her. So we were wanting to do, you know, different things with the business. I was driving hard doing 50, 60 hours a week and she was on, you know, a beach in, in somewhere in Europe. <laughs> so um, Seems fair. Yes. Yeah, well, Seems really aligned, right? Oh, yeah. It's completely aligned. <laughs> That's how you win. It was tough. So we were not putting in equal contributions, but she wanted to be remunerated equally. Equally, So it seemed really unfair to me at the time and, and we had we should have had an agreement in place on how to trans handle that transition. So that would be something that I'd suggest any business part- owner does that's got a business partner look at, you know, are your roles going to change and how could you change your remuneration as they do so yeah that, <laughs> big that's there. huge there so how did that play out because i, I mean my understanding and i um, hope to be corrected is but i don't believe you have a business partner today no that's how it played out <laughs> there you go <laughs> so, so look, was this you took over the same business or you went no this thing we'll just replace yeah. it with something else so we got in that in one disagreement about it all and she asked to be bought out of her 50 percent share which was right. a huge shock because i'd never planned for it i'd never prepared for it and my choices because we had a pretty ordinary buy sell agreement there was no option for paying her out over time it was basically come up with one and a half million dollars jared i want it like asap 
or we're going to sell the sell the business. That was my options, and it was you know really daunting. But I can feel it, feel the the memories coming up right now. <laughs> I can hear the stress <laughs> kicking in. <laughs> I'm like, like, just lay down on the couch, and here's a pillow to hug yeah. you. <laughs> So, I've got some good news. I've heard this turns out okay. It does. It does. <laughs> I feel like I feel like we're I know building, the ending. <laughs> but still, to be, um, it, it's funny how many people end up in businesses and like when you're starting out is like to get a business partner can be a huge advantage because oh, you get that. Speed. I wouldn't take it back. You know, like yeah. we complemented each other perfectly. You know, we were an awesome team. We we were in perfect alignment for seven years. We did build an amazing business to that point. But, um, you know, I just wish I'd had the foresight or previous experience or other mentors around me to say, hey, you know, look at how this transition is going to happen. She's much older, going to want different things. Look at your buy, sell and, and, you know, cater for paying someone out over time instead of like immediately. (laughs) And But thankfully, the one silver lining to this was that my investing that I've been doing in my properties outside of the business enabled me to pull together that cash i'd sold everything it was just you know we're clearing deck pulling all cash in i took a loan against the business in part as well and um that enabled me to pay her out so it was a big you know balls to the wall moment where i was used to running the business with having a partner and then to transition and see me as the sole leader and you know really grow into that um, leadership role as well was significant too. Can so, I just ask a clarifying question there? Had you been buying more properties in that seven years and then had to clear everything out? Yeah. Was this just the original group? So you had been. So you'd yeah, acquired more. Not many, but what, uh, at least two. Yeah. And then full, cl- I mean, all of it, all yeah. gone to. Gone. Wow. Yeah. Talk I about that. Because the there was no, the refinancing wasn't enough. Like I had to just get all that. that the equity out and you know clear clear house <laughs> literally so it was moved so what happened next well in the in the seven years since i've nearly doubled the business thankfully and through some very difficult times in the birth market too so we had four or five years of a down market where rents dropped 33 percent and once the I'll, I'll come to that in a, in a minute as being one of my bigger challenges and wins but once the business got to a size that it was growing more organically and i had an amazing team and the you know we'd won all these state and national awards and had that reputation i was able to really dial in the profits over the last few years which was you know awesome but it was a massive journey and it was also uh, really important for me to in the early days I used, used to just try and grow as fast as I could you know um, but in the last few years I'm more about growing su- sustainably so that I don't overstretch the team and I'm really conscious of how are they feeling and how are they managing because we we don't we want to keep that service you know excellent regardless of how much growth we're bringing on so I've at least been able to, you know, dial in profit and um, that's enabled me to then start investing more in the last two years and getting as much outside the business as possible. So we were able to upgrade our house into one of the best public school catchment areas um, 18 months ago 
and it's given us a much more amazing lifestyle. But I certainly delayed gratification on that for a very long time. Um, so the house was the last sort of piece to giving something more back to our lifestyle. And we also did that with a bit of an investment mindset too so that you, you, we weren't just going and, um, you know, buying something that's not going to perform i put that investment lens on and it's worked out really well as well so i also wanted to take more time off to spend with my daughter each week and support some of the mentoring with teenagers and charities that i do and and that's you know just carve out a life that i always wanted you know it's no point getting to this point and then you know continuing to work 60 hours a week and repeating the same mistakes as my dad <laughs> so I've, I'm very conscious of building this golden parachute of wealth again outside the business because it saved me at various points in the past. It helped me create the business in the first place. It helped me buy my business partner out. And now I'm just looking for that golden parachute that if everything ever went to crap um, with the business, uh, not that I, you know, 99% chance it won't, but I'm just very conscious of building that outside now to have as a fallback. It's really nice to have options, right? It's like a lot of people that hadn't made those types of moves wouldn't have had the options. And you can think of so many of these. It's like you look at how many industries just evaporate because Mm. of innovation. Like if you're all in on a business like the Yellow Pages and then things change, it's like you could be wiped out Mm. where – the ability to start again. I mean, it's not ideal. You have to obviously sell a lot of your properties. And I dare yeah. say if you calculated what those ones are worth today, you'd probably be a little bit stingy. That, that but- head shake was a joke. Talk about that. <laughs> yeah, let's not talk about that one. For the listeners at home, yes. With a grimace and a head shake. <laughs> yeah, I got you. I feel you. But it's amazing what it's been able to like uh, create for you. As you said, is like you got the business off the ground and then we're able to take over it from here. I think this is a great segue point to kind of go from like, this is the the business journey of getting to that point. But I'd really want to unpack this one as well as I know our listeners will be very keen. How have you approached investing and uh, the methodology around your investing as a side, your business post this? Mm. Like you got the business back on track, you got the lifestyle and a family thing happening and and your own home. How are you thinking about what you invest in and and your methodology there? As I know, uh, we have different views here, let's just say. (laughs) Well, in my early days of investing when I had a much lower income, I bought where I could afford and I partnered with others to get the money for my first few deals. And I put in that sweat equity and renovated and, you know, moved into doing small subdivision and development. And um, I also sold most of those properties, as you know, and was at different times as well. I was turning over properties just to realise profit and try to accelerate my way forward. So there was times when I sold when I didn't have to. And there's a lot, when you look back, there's a lot of purchase costs, selling costs, tax that you pay. Um, And it did help me chunk up money quickly um, when I needed to, but it um, and, and, and it helped me put it into the business and do these other things, but it was also very wasteful. So over the last few years when rebuilding my portfolio, I've had to decide whether I focus more on cash flow in buying lower-priced properties or capital growth from higher-priced, more blue-chip properties with a proven history of performance. At least I saw the choice as being 
you know, more towards income or more towards growth. Um, and with my business profits being much higher and very consistent, and thankfully, you know, property management's a pretty consistent uh, type of business. So, you know, we're, we're working with people for long periods of time and we've got that, you know, continuity. So I decided that I'd use that really strong cash flow to buy the much higher price properties that have a high land component in amazing locations. And my criteria was to find stuff that had at least an 8% average annual growth rate over the last 30 years. And I knew from looking at more of the income properties, they typically land at 4 to 5% average annual growth rate over 30 years. So when you compound that out, it can make a real big difference. Even 2% on a median house price of 500 grand over 30 years is $1.1 million. So the growth was more important for me. Um, Each investor chooses differently depending on their situation. And if I didn't have the strong business cash flow, I would have lent more towards cash flow sooner. So I also wanted that development potential so that later on I could build and convert the properties to producing higher income if I wished. And that made a lot of sense to me, um, especially because I was pretty comfortable with developing and and it wasn't in my immediate plan, but it was in a, you know, in a 10 or 20 year period. If I want a project, if I'm bored, if I want to convert you know, the portfolio to producing more income and that might happen sooner if interest rates, uh, you know, stay up for a while, (laughs) then I'd look at developing some of those properties and converting, you know, to having um, better buildings on them that produce more rent. So my primary reason for doing this is that in bottom line dollar terms, having more of your return from capital growth of the land component of the property and less from the income component of the building on the property means that your increasing price is also able to compound out with less tax being paid on it until you sell or may never sell. So if the income component was higher, your rent was higher, you'd be paying more tax on that component along the way. And so I'm choosing to take more of my overall gain as capital appreciation on the property does that make sense totally does it's interesting Uh, as we sort of unpack the entire history it's so i would almost articulate like seasons right like you had the starting season of doing some renovations and utilizing sweat equity to go and grow the portfolio as like a bit of an investment hypothesis through to then sort of focusing in on the business for those seven years of going great like how can i do it and you you sort of dabbled in some investments along that and then on the other side, it's going back to great. Now I've got stable, good cash flow and good profits from a business going back into investing and saying, how can I capitalize on this as well? Like, I, I love these stories <clears throat> just to understand like, oh, great seasonality. And I, I am curious because I know that people who are listening to this are as well. During that whole journey, like, where have been your big biggest wins? Like, is it been biggest wins in business? Has it been the biggest wins in investments? Like, what are the ones that you look back at and just say, ah, this is where, I don't know, I, I sort of stake, put the stake in the ground and say this was the biggest win? Well, before I get to that, I did want to mention that there's some trade-offs to my strategy too. Like, I just spoke about the positives. What about some of the negatives to this strategy too? Because... With increasing interest rates, properties become more and more negatively geared and especially over the shorter term, that can be really hard to hold 
if you don't have that strong cash flow. And when choosing this strategy, it was more important for me to have that certainty of capital growth and consistently compound that capital base. But the other part of my overall financial plan is to diversify into other assets that create the income then. So it's not just all, uh, there's always these camps, you know, like are you in capital growth camp or income producing camp? But what about creating a overall balanced portfolio camp? You know, what about the asset allocation to put all these pieces together? So I'm not a proponent of one or the other. And my overall financial plan is about balancing the negative out in the coming years on piling more into index funds, looking at a commercial property um, and potentially higher income producing residential like a share house. Um, and that's going to be the next phase, the next season, if you will, um, that, that I'm going to get into. And of course, you can also combine paying down a debt and developing some of the properties and while having rents continue to increase. Um, and you not only then have that sizable asset base, but you can have the passive income and convert it more towards that and, and I guess not rely on the sale of my business. So I didn't want to leave out the other side to that and the next phase. Do you know what? It's um, I am as we unpack this, I find you to be very strategical, Jared. Yeah, right? it's I'm like told that a lot. <laughs> yeah, I, and I like it by the way. But it's like you're one of the few people. Like uh, I'll use an opposite to make this more example better. We'll say, if you have an internet business that's reliable on Facebook ads, doing a negative gearing strategy seems like suicide to me. It seems like insanity because you've got so much risk that your income can just disappear at the flick of a switch yeah so your ability to be able to support negatively geared properties in that environment i i wouldn't sleep at night I wouldn't honestly sleep either. <laughs> yeah your business model though in the nature of like rents and tied to longer deals and very consistent very stable i would almost say it's i'll say it's close to but not quite like a government accountant role like it's a very very you can be sure the job's there it's not going anywhere it's a very stable business compared to a lot of the high risk ones we see so you've been able to go okay well i'm willing to take on risk with needing business income to support assets yep. um noting that it does come with the downsides you've mentioned here hmm. I, again though it's like I, the next step in being strategical has become well how do i balance out potentially negative cash flow in the portfolio from negative gearing here through things like rooming houses, it sounds like, or multi-tenant things, or index funds, um, or commercial. And I, I do like the idea that you don't have to be one or the other. Like, you really don't. It's just like your steps to evening things out or being more balanced and even open-minded to other asset classes is a really, really powerful advantage. Have you got this mapped out to a point with what good and uh, looks like for you? Like, what is there an ideal outcome you're working towards within this type of portfolio? Yeah, so I love Robert Kiyosaki's book, um, Rich Dad's Guide to Investing. Here he is again being mentioned. <laughs> we'll, we'll get some, we'll get some links get in the description, yeah. although I'll probably just say that and we won't put any yeah. links in the description. Yeah. But, you know, go, go on Amazon, search for the books. But an um, uh, amazing book too. So I didn't appreciate the beauty of this book until I've got further along in my investing journey. A, a lot of it when I read it, previously at 16 just went over my head and I was like yeah what do you mean three financial plans well there's a financial plan to be secure a financial plan to be comfortable and a financial plan to be rich so I have 
my financial planner work up that secure and comfortable plan that I've got now ticking over in the background and I'm executing on. But thankfully, his plan was for me to buy X number of properties in 10 years. I've done it in a year. Um, that's great. So nice and slow, just take yeah, your time. Super slow. <laughs> exactly. Very methodical. Yep. Very- <laughs> so he, he's also like, you know, contribute this much to super. So I've also done been making the extra super contributions and piling it in because I haven't hadn't done for basically most of my working life. Yeah. And I'm packing in the index funds as well because it does seem like a pretty good time with things being more you know, relatively better value as well. You can never choose the bottom perfectly, but when you're investing for the long term, now seems like a good time to be starting to pack money in. This but I will is not- pause you right there to say this is not <laughs> <Thank> financial <you. laughs> advice. No one on this podcast is making any recommendations to buy, sell, any no, asset classes. what I'm doing. Yeah, and the date has passed. Even if it was a good tip, by the time you listen to this, that has passed. It will be terrible advice to Horrible. listen to us at all on that. But I will ask two questions here that I think are very important. Uh, for me, I, I feel like, again, and this is not financial advice, I really struggle with super because I feel like liquidity is the fuel of the entrepreneur. Mm-hmm. Money in super is money I'm not doing things with in business or have the ability to maneuver and like we're, we're creators. Yeah. And I feel like that's really hard for me. So question number one, but I need to, uh, is like how have you felt about contributing to super? And then the second component is, being you are so strong in property, and I suspect you see opportunities every day, and if not, we can get on a call <laughs> and find some. Um, how do you battle with the idea of when you're seeing these wins and opportunities, then go, do you know, what? I'm I'm going to say no to that, and I'm going to oh. put it in a boring index fund oh. that is. <laughs> <laughs> you're an index fund sales guy, Charlie. That is great. <laughs> Look, this is what we wrestle with as investors, isn't it? And this is the interplay that we that no one else understands because we've also got our business to invest in as well. And then Correct. You, if you do well in one asset class, you just want to keep piling in there. So I didn't want to be greedy and ask three questions, but yes, oh. I would have liked to have tagged that on. So let, let's just tackle <laughs> that as a topic yeah. because I, you, you have a significant advantage. Like you are, as I said, like I think you're an expert in the Perth market. It would I could completely understand where it's like, this is my zone. I'm going all in. I'm a specialist. Yeah. This diversification stuff, suck it. Not in. Well, that brings me back to Rich Dad's Guide to Investing. So I I, I th- figure if I have that secure and comfortable level sorted and it's very mechanical, very process focused, it's about having the backup of the super to fall back on. Um, it's about having those index funds, you know, just building and growing in the background too. And then you've got your property. But now I'm sort of more quickly moving to that rich level where I say to my financial planner, okay, we've got this secure and comfortable level sorted. I appreciate you can't um, advise me to keep buying properties, but because property is what I love, here's what I'm going to be doing to get to the rich level on top of these other things. So I, I, I think it's also a mistake to... Early on, I wanted to concentrate and make these other things really work and and get your wealth chunked up. I think if you try and diversify, and this is not financial advice, but just my journey, I think if I was going to try and put money in super and money in index funds and and you know buy a commercial property on top of trying to do residential previously, I think you need to concentrate early on, become a master at it, become really good, and then start to spread that asset base around and that's 
my, my that's where you are in the journey yeah yeah and that that comes back to sort of what we've spoken about before which is like the the stay in your lane and they make a conscious decision to go into the next one and the next one but one thing i found fascinating in your sort of the foundational investments i didn't hear the business i didn't hear the sale of the business sitting in there like the business is not an asset that you look to say this is the foundation for me to sell one day you're looking outside yeah. of that to say hey there are other asset classes that I need to have foundation where the business, like where does that kind of sit on that investment journey? Well, it is a very saleable asset and I do track the value of it and it's very known in our industry what the multiplier is and, and you know, there's a lot of rent rolls being purchased around. So I'm very conscious of what that um, exit would be. Um, but I also love what I'm doing and I'd, I don't want to force um, my uh, children into real estate, but if they wanted to do real estate, I'd love for it to be, you know, a family legacy business. Of course, they might turn around and say, Dad, we hate the idea of uh, <laughs> probably... Look at both of you. It's like the example of they're going to run in the opposite direction. Right. You I mean, I, I, <laughs> do you know, I was talking, talking to a guy. Uh, last night I went to a um, property meetup. It was quite interesting. There was a father-son duo there. Yeah. And I was like, oh, how did you get into business with your father? And he's like, well, initially he goes, I didn't want to. He's like, I repelled it. <laughs> he's like, because dad was into it, I straight out didn't want to be involved. But yeah, funnily enough, through the education of real estate, he's like, no, no, no. I, I, it was more me not wanting to work with dad, not that this wasn't a great <laughs> loved, thing. And I'm like, yeah, oh. I love the business. <laughs> didn't want to work with my parents. <laughs> yeah. And that was the same for me. So, I, my father was a builder. I was a plumber. And I was like, the idea of working with my dad, it was like, it was, I, I liked it. But at the same time, we clashed and it wasn't enjoyable. So it kind of repelled me from the industry. And um, I, in knowing that and hearing these things and the way we speak, I still want to force Jack into real estate. I mean, I say I don't want to force it, but, oh, God, nothing would make me prouder. <laughs> Although I, I will say, like, I was 19 and I had this upbringing of going, whatever Dad said, I'll do the opposite. So he's like, don't get a motorcycle. Uh, yeah, like, Damn straight, I'm going to get a motorcycle. Don't move and live overseas. Oh, I'm moving and living overseas. Go and be a consultant. Don't start a business. Oh, you bet your ass are going to be <laughs> I've got, I've got a plan, guys. So what we'll do is we'll tell our children, guys, Reverse opposite. Psychology. We'll just do the exact 100%. opposite of what we want. Or it's like, yeah. don't get into real estate. It's a horrible business, all right? I want you to do something much safer. Yeah. And then they'll push them in. Yeah, Jared's in there, say that to the kids. This is great. And they're like, yeah, good point, Dad. It's going to start this afternoon when I get home. <laughs> I, I, will, I will mention this one point though. Believe it or not, when um when Jack was first born, I would uh, take him on these walks in the in the pram, and I would actually play Rich Dad Poor Dad on a Bluetooth speaker oh, so good. as I walked him up the hill, just in case anything would yeah. get in. But and I, of course, was in enjoying it a lot every day. I'm listening like- to Full Stack and she's getting <laughs> just Jack's- educated. Jack's sleeping and just like playing like the rich dad poor in the background. And it <laughs> was like, funny oh. the other day because I was like, hear this, Lexi, these guys, I'm going to be on their podcast in a couple of weeks. <laughs> so <laughs> she's just like, whatever. <laughs> now Lexi's like never going to listen to podcasts again. So I, I, am, I am curious, going back to those sort of three yep. layers, like you, you were talking about the foundational layer from uh, Robert Kiyosaki and then you were saying that you've, you've set up that sort of foundational layer and you're stepping into sort of the next layer. I'm curious. So that's where you're at now. Like, is that what you're focusing in on? And so the business is sort of punching away, and now you're saying, "Great, I'm going to take the profits. I'm going to invest them into next that next step." Like, what is your primary focus now, and what are you looking at next? Well, yes, that's a good question. Um, 
So next for me is going to be, because I've got properties in Perth and Brisbane, I'm wanting to increase the diversity and add something in Melbourne, another blue chip sort of development type property. And I figure um, be a bit counter um, to everyone else. And while there's a bit more supply and things are down to, to look there, but Perth to me still has the best opportunity of all the capitals in Australia. I've got to slide that in, but because I'm no, so concentrated no there, um, I, I want to, the diversity is more important to me than the shorter term gain. And whereas- hold up, hold up. I'm impressed you managed to take a stab at Melbourne so heavily and still want to counter invest <laughs> there. That's uh, well, no rivalry at all. And I tend to agree with you a little bit on that, but that's just fascinating. It's like, I know Melbourne's terrible and shithole and been through a lot and no one wants to live there, but I'm still going to buy a house there. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> no apology. Perfect no, just, timing yeah, to get in. <laughs> and I, shots fired. I get it. Yeah. But look- uh, then I'll probably move back to either the commercial or a, a home with multiple occupancy in Perth where it's a bit more close to home and um, and keep piling in the index funds and just executing that boring part of the, the plan. So Awesome. Now, did we, it's we fascinating. I want to make sure. Great. You left, me, left me hanging. <laughs> Before we finish this one off, Let's. Where have the biggest wins been for you in this journey, Jared? It sounds like you've got a phenomenal business, a great investing portfolio. What's what's worked the best for you here? Where have you seen the substantial wins? And then we'll wrap this one up. Well, not repeating the same mistakes as my my dad. I've got to take the most satisfaction from. So spending the mornings with Lexi and every I've had every Friday off with her since she was one. So for the last three years. Just we call it daddy daughter day, and she she loves it and go to gymnastics or dance, and you know I'm that token dad among all the um, the housewives <laughs> these things. <laughs> so, but I just get a lot of enjoyment out of that. And um, our family home that we bought 18 months ago has been a massive win. So that was in a blue chip investment um, location, and it's gone up 500k over that 18 months. So That's awesome, solid. Congratulations. So really thrilled that we tick the getting her into awesome schools as well as the investment um, hat as well Um, and probably my some of my other biggest my biggest win would be in the three to four years before um, the last two years our rental market dropped considerably so our average rent decreased by 33% it was pretty brutal and my income with the business is directly tied to that rental price. So I was sitting at about a 20% profit margin at the time and I went down to negative 5% at one time. It was Ouch. it was brutal. So it was the toughest fight of my life for business survival and um you know thankfully I had a wonderful team and being forced to make changes and having your back against the wall is either going to destroy you or give you a massive um, kick in the ass to innovate and, you know, we I, I changed our systems, I changed our processes, I restructured, I changed our marketing. All of that enabled us to become the best property manager in Australia because I had to, to survive. Yep. So the bank was, um, I had covenants over the business too, I should mention, for growth um, when I took out that business loan. So they're like, Jared, you still need to grow even though the market's de- decreasing and, uh, you know, if you don't, we're going to come calling. 
So yeah, we didn't even tap into that, but even the additional pressure of having a loan against the business, yeah. like it creates a, what we call it a level of urgency. Yeah, I feel like it creates like a unique advantage, though. It did in hindsight, but <laughs> you've got that's, a bear chasing you. If you're tuning into the video, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that's uh, what that's from. So I clawed my way back, restoring our profits to that twenty percent margin, um, and this is up to about two years ago. And then since then, the market's come back. And now with Perth being one of the best places to invest in Australia, our rents have fully bounced back and we're, you know, pile that extra 30% back on top of my 20% margin um, and and on top of my business value. So it's all come around to, you know, be well worth it. And I'm just so glad that my team stuck in there, my clients stuck in there. It was brutally tough, but the reward on the other side of that being, awesome. you know, forced to run lean and innovate and, you know, so that's that's my biggest fist pump win, you know. Congrats. What a, what a so. journey, man, and congratulations. And, um, again, oh, we will wrap this one up, but I just wanted to – this story I just think is so powerful for all the full-stack business owners out there is, um, Jared, you've been able to do what we as a brand are trying to represent, play in the worlds of successful business, investing well out of it, Good family values as well, which I think many of our audience stand for and want to achieve. So big congrats to you. I'm going to wrap this one up from here, but thank you so much for coming on the show and really being a full stack business owner.